Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Chris Street Soccer here on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network, also broadcasting live on Sirius XM 211, Dan Patrick Sports. I'm your host, Nick Gieber. Great to be with you today. We've got a big show today, lots to talk about. We've obviously got our continuing discussions of the Premier League. We're going to look at the Champions League draw, which happened a little earlier on in the week. We're going to talk about, we can talk about the uh, the League Cup if you want. We can talk about a dire and dull Super Classico between uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid that put everybody to sleep. There's all sorts of things we can talk about. Oh, and of course, the uh, FIFA World Club Cup, which saw Liverpool advance to a final with uh, Copa Libertadores champion Flamengo. Uh, After, I might say, a very spirited performance from Mexican side Monterrey. Uh, Let's talk about it all. I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Nick Eber, N-I-C-K-G-E-B-E-R. Also at Fifth Street Sports, either one of those, although my personal one's probably easier. Uh, love to chat to you because there is so much going on in the world of football. And, of course, we are literally, what, 10 days away, 15 days away, for less, actually, from the transfer window opening. Liverpool have already done uh, their first deal. Of course, it hasn't been finalized yet. Uh, we will talk about that. And I think, by the way, a very nifty piece of business uh, they've done indeed as uh, Mina Mino from uh, uh, um, uh, has uh, agreed to sign with them on the 11th, uh, pardon me, on uh, January 1st. It's uh, interesting because um, Salzburg, where he's playing right now, I mean, they've been complicit in this. So let's, let's talk about it. Also, um, Charlotte has announced as the 30th Major League Soccer franchise. Of course, they don't actually have a team. And uh, they are owned by an NFL player, Don Garber, busy uh, making friends, uh, toadying up to obviously all the NFL owners around the country as Major League Soccer tries its darndest, its very best, uh, to become a relevant league here in the U.S. All right, let's talk about it all. Lots to talk about. Love to hear from you. We're here Monday through Friday, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern time. Had to think about it for a minute. You'll excuse me. Uh, On the Sports Byline Broadcast Network, Sirius XM, also on our digital platforms, iHeart, TuneIn, the award-winning SiriusXM app, and if you miss any part of the show, the podcast available on the Believe Podcast Network immediately following the show. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. We'll be right back, and let's kick it all off. Uh, let's have a discussion about, gosh, I'm not sure, any one of the above. I'll figure it out during the break. <laughs> All right, uh, so the League Cup happened, and well, or happening, and Liverpool faced Aston Villa at the League Cup at Villa Park, and they were able to field a team of under-23s because Liverpool were in Doha preparing for the semi-final of the World Club Cup. Uh, The Football League, unable, unwilling to make any form of dispensation in terms of time, timing for this game. Uh, put Liverpool in a position where they had to field two squads. Now, I I will credit Jurgen Klopp and the Liverpool uh, powers that be for this one, because rather than trying to split the squad, let's say take a couple of the veterans like maybe Milner 
or uh, Adam Lalana, maybe who hasn't played a huge amount this season, and sprinkle a couple of veterans, a couple of guys like maybe Shakiri uh, down to the Football League team, uh, to the team to play the uh, EFL Cup, uh, along with some youngsters. He just decided to straight out play the under-23s. Which shows that he has enormous confidence in them, faith in their abilities, faith in their coaching, faith in what they're going to bring. They did end up getting beaten 5-0. I think if you listen to the broadcast uh, uh, that was um, on uh, uh, ESPN+, Plus, I'm trying to remember that for a second. Yes, it was ESPN+. Plus. Uh, You know, the commentator was making a big point of saying that the game, the score really didn't reflect the game. And, you know, I'm going to disagree. The score really did reflect the game. Aston Villa won the game on a canter, hands down, great performance from Villa against an under-23s team. There were times during that game, I will credit fully the under-23 team, I thought they played very well, particularly the opening 10-15 minutes of the game. They had a lot of shots on goal, there were spells that they had possession, and I think if you look at those kids and the way they played, a lot of them are going to make an impact uh, at the senior level when they get there. But to say that the scoreline was not reflective of the game, I think is a little ridiculous, and, and maybe... Look, these are young men. These are professional athletes. I believe a couple of these kids were 17 years old, but they aspire and are indeed professional athletes. I don't think they need anybody having pity for them. I think we should all be impressed with them, with how they came out, how they played, how they were supported by their club. The result wasn't you know, what people would have liked in a dream world, but I think we all suspected that was going to be the result, and it was. So let's not, uh, you know, let's not call it what it isn't but let's say what it is it was a, a gutsy performance from a bunch of kids who have enormous amount of talent who are in an excellent program who are going to make an impact on the first team whether that's at liverpool or elsewhere and let's just leave it at that in the meantime the real person the real um villain here to me is quite frankly uh, the uh, football league because they were unwilling unable to reschedule look if you have the current Champions League champion playing in your tournament, who, by the way, happens to be, what, 10 points clear at the top of the Premier League table right now, who last year came second in the Premier League, oh, all while winning the Champions League, of course, don't you really want them in your tournament? Aren't you willing to say success breeds success? And we understand that the tournament in Doha, which involves bringing in teams from all over the world, is going to force a scheduling change, and we're going to accommodate that scheduling change. But no, no, we've got to stick to our guns because we're bureaucrats. We've got to stamp the passport. We've got to move Form A1 to Form AC and then have it countersigned and uh, copied and done in triplicate and distributed to this distribution list. They're just bureaucrats. And I think the fact that they forced Liverpool to play the under-23s in that situation is a, is a mistake. But it's a mistake they made and a mistake uh, that they have to live with. I'm not sure it's going to have any huge ramif- lasting ramifications for them. But, but I'll tell you what it, what it did do is it forced Liverpool to, to bring out into the open. And by the way, Liverpool are like record holders of this, of this cup. It forced them to make a, a very public admission that our League Cup is a low-priority cup. 
If you said to me, Nick, would you want to win the, the Premier League? Would you like to win the FA Cup? Would you like to win the World Club Cup? Uh, guess what? Or the Champions League or the Europa League? Guess what? World Club Cup would be right at the bottom of that list. I mean, I'm happy Liverpool are there. I'm a supporter, and I'm happy they're you know going to have a great game against Flamengo and hopefully win it. But it just... By forcing the issue, the Football League has, number one, made an admission. It's like when you force someone into saying something. Tell me, tell me, come on, just tell me. Or it's like with that girl, oh, tell me, you know, you love me, don't you? Well, she's going to look at you and say no. That's not what you want, right? (laughs) They forced Liverpool into saying that the League Cup was a low-priority cup. And that, I think is ultimately the lasting ramifications of what they did. A, a big a big mistake. They All they had to do was reschedule this game. But, but whatever, the game is done. Congrats to Villa. And look, and for Villa, it's meaningful because Villa needed a win. They've been stinking it up in the league. They have a massive game this weekend against Southampton, which is a true uh, relegation six-pointer. Remember, they're tied on points with Southampton or in the drop zone. And Villa have lost three games in a row. In fact, they've only won one league game in five. So being able to beat the team that has not lost a Premier League game in over 50 games, although you beat the under-23 side in the club in the cup tournament, I think is going to give them that, that taste, you know, that taste of victory, which is so important. But we'll see what happens. We'll have to wait and see what happens uh, in that game. Uh, look, I can talk about Red Bull, uh, pardon me, not Red Bull, about El Clas- Super Clasico, El Clasico, about Barcelona, Real Madrid. What an uneventful El Clasico draw that is, that was. It was an absolute snooze fest. Uh, I'm finding the Spanish league to be tiresome and... Uh, I just, you know... Two teams are great teams, don't get me wrong, um, but they're just not, not quite the dominant teams they used to be. So I, I'm, I'm finding it really not all that interesting. And it's one and two, tied on points in, in the in La Liga, of course. Uh, you know, I'm more interested in Sevilla, G- uh, Getafe, Atletico, Madrid, Sociedad, uh, Madrid, Sociedad. You know, these teams that are kind of sniffing around. I'm, I'm just bored of, of, of these two teams, to be fair. I'm sorry. Sorry, Ray. I'm sorry, all these people that are huge fans. Don't disrespect you, and and you, the great team's given us many entertainment, much entertainment over the years. But uh, I'm just I'm, I'm ready for some changes. Man City yet to agree a compensation for Mikel Arteta to go take over the reins at Arsenal. Uh, why he wants that? I mean, it's got to be emotional. But that is a crap team uh, with crap ownership, with a crap board with an absolute crap football outlook. What do Arsenal have? They've got about four good players, and they've got a wonderful stadium. But, you know, they don't spend money. They don't take chances. They don't gamble at all. And they are, unfortunately, looking at the next decade of absolute mediocrity. It's going to take the departure of Stan Kroenke from Everton, from Arsenal, excuse Everton, listen to me, from Arsenal to make a difference at that club. But I'm, I'm jumping around. You'll excuse me one of those days. By the way, speaking of jumping around, I've got a special guest coming on in the next segment. You know, we talk about the under-23s and training 
and how these teams are developing their youth systems back up after really two decades of tearing them down. Uh, it's not just coaching a new vision, a new outlook, but it's technology as well that's playing a huge part in it. I'm actually going to be joined in the next segment by um, a guy named Guy Aharon, who is the CEO of a company called Playmaker that actually has some incredible technology that's being used by many big clubs around the world that's starting to get integrated more and more. And speaking of Arsenal, oh, by the way, uh, guess who is a big investor in this company? That's right, Will. Uh, does that give you a hint? Will. Uh, that's right, Arsene Wenger. All right, we're going to talk to Guy Aharon, the chief executive officer of Playmaker, right after the break. Oh, you hope you'll stay with me. And then after that, let's uh, talk some more football. Also, have to talk about this Charlotte um, MLS franchise nonsense. Uh, it's just, honestly, oh, it, it's it's just so uninspiring. All right, be right back after this. All right, well, welcome back to the show. Chris Street Soccer here on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network, also broadcasting live on Sirius XM 211, Dan Patrick Sports. I'm your host, Nick Gieber. Look, it's uh, great to be with you. Uh, it's always busy in the world of football, as you know, as we talk about on this show on a regular basis. But football is a continuously changing and evolving game, both in terms of rules, and we're seeing that right now with VAR and the way it's being implemented. We obviously talk a lot about that, and I have my own opinions about it, but it is a technological leap. And, you know, the history of football has been replete with technological advancements. Uh, not many people know this, but going back to 1970, uh, the Adidas Telstar ball, the black and white panels, was revolutionary. And, of course, the biggest revolution of all in 1970 at the World Cup was the institution officially uh, of FIFA-sanctioned red and yellow cards for referees. So we're always advancing the game. And these days, of course, the advancement is technological. And it's not just technology off the field. It's also technology in the training room, on the training pitch, with the training staff. And there are some truly revolutionary products out there helping teams fine-tune both their play and their athletes. Well, I'm very pleased to have on my guest line... Uh, the CEO of a company called Playmaker. Uh, this company is revolutionizing the way that teams train and prepare both their athletes and themselves for the games. Uh, Playmaker uh, CEO uh, Guy Aharon joins me on the phone. Guy, thanks for thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. A great pleasure. So, uh, Guy, I mean, your company uh, basically what you guys do and. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Is you you have a technology that tracks athletes by basically implanting multi-axis GPS sensors in their boots and cross-referencing that over an enormous database of football moves and athlete moves that you have in this sort of incredible machine learning um, uh, day set of data analytics and 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 what once that data. Is, has gone from the athlete's boots to your system, what does it present itself to the coaching staff? In other words, what do they see on their end? So the basic of the sensor and what we 
tried and created it actually is uh, we wanted to create a system that would be available for professionals, provide them with tremendous value, but at the same time would be able to be available to any player out there and you know help uh, help you become a champion with whether if you're an MLS player or a Premier League player, but also if you're playing in the, in the local high school. And uh, by using very advanced, uh, as you mentioned, uh, footwear-based sensors with gyroscopes and accelerometers, we're measuring at a very high rate and collecting a lot of data that uh, we convert into information. And uh, this information, information is a set of tools that helps the, the coach to take smarter decisions. And the set of information that we are providing is on the technical, tactical, and physical part. So... First, on, on the physical part, we are providing the speed, the distance, acceleration, acceleration. A lot of common uh, um, physical information is very well known from the world of GPS and the one that installed behind the shoulders. And additionally to it, in a very unique, since we are mounted on the footwear, we are enabling the coach to have information about the player-ball rela- uh, relation, which is the touches, the number of touches, uh, the left and right usage, and uh, time between receive and release. I know the game has become uh, much in the last decade much stronger, much faster, and um, there's uh, a long, a very significant emphasis of, of how fast I'm, I'm passing. And we're adding to it the, the tactical part, which is the passing metrics, successful passes, regain, and lost ball, and everything is available within seconds to, to the coach, the players, Completed by personal reports or directly to the coach while they're on the pitch. Four seconds after the, the training session ends or uh, after the match match ends, and all of this, since we are using no infrastructure and no installation and no maintenance, you can enjoy it. You know, it's, uh, when you're home, when you're away, and when you're even training and uh, wherever you want to train. So, so this all happens in the cloud. In other words, you don't need a big central processing system at your. Uh, training grounds. Basically, this data is uh, accumulated, and I, I sounds like it's sent to the cloud where it's processed by your system. Is that how it works? Yeah. So there are two phases. Uh, the first one is embedded on the on the sensor on the footwear. So we have like a micro, very smart computer that uses exactly like you said, machine learning, artificial intelligence. We actually stock those sensors over the course of more than four years. How to play uh, soccer? And they know to understand what the food is doing. And then by the end of the session, data goes to the cloud. And then we connect the right foot and the left foot. We have two sensors, one for each foot. And then connect all the players to the team together. And then, as I said, within seconds from the cloud, is available via any online uh, dashboard or, or access system. Wow, that's, uh, very, uh, that's very user-friendly. And it would allow... Clubs, uh, as you mentioned, uh, of all sizes, uh, you know, not just big professional clubs, to take advantage of this technology, which really is revolutionary. Yeah. And I was reading about your company, Guy, and, you know, there are certain coaches, particularly, I mean, football, we talk about technological advances, but I mean, football is essentially the same laws of the game that it has been for an awfully long time. Uh, it, it embraces change slowly, but there are certain people 
that have been uh, part of the new modern breed of football, football training. Uh, we can look back. I mean, Alex Ferguson sort of I- introducing uh, some of these uh, advanced training techniques at, at Carrington, at United, of course. Uh, not a lot of people know about this. David Moyes was well known as an early adopter of uh, training technology, as was Arsene Wenger. And I was just reading that Arsene Wenger apparently is now an investor in your company. Tell us a bit about that. Uh, so first, that, that is correct, and he is, you know, they call him uh, the nickname of the professor. And um, having him on board, it's, it's, it's first a great honor, but uh, it also helps us to make sure that our vision, that the, our converting the data into information and eventually into intelligence uh, with combinations of his guidance and even his involvement to know that we're providing great value. Uh, I've met, uh, I've met uh, Mr. Wenger um, more than a year ago, and uh, I shared with him what we're doing, and since he's on the edge of innovation, and he sees things way before others, uh, he realized the power of, of the technology. You know, when in the, in the soccer industry, which is a bit traditional and changes are slowly to adopt, he, he immediately realized what, what's going on. And he wanted to test it, and he wanted to see the system. And I told him, listen, we, are, uh, have, we have many clubs in London. We are more than welcome to join one of the training sessions. And you'll see how it works. Obviously, uh, bringing uh, Mr. Fenger to one of our uh, trainings in, uh, in clubs in London might be problematic. So he suggested that we'll bring a group of players to his house and, and have a training in his backyard. And this, is, again, goes back to the magic of the system that you can do it uh, and for a professional training and to make it emphasized and strong enough to, to, to show him the capacity and the capabilities of the system. So we brought a, we brought a group of players and uh, we didn't tell them where we were taking them. And their coach, and they were under 16 from a, a London-based club. And just imagine they're going off uh, of a small bus <laughs> and uh, in some kind of a very nice house in North London and suddenly uh, realize that Arsene Wenger is there giving them a 90-minute training. And he looked at the training, looked at the data, and um, this is where he immediately recognizes the, the, the potential. And soon after, he joined Wow, that's that's a great story. I'm just wondering, did that Mrs. did Mrs. Wenger provide tea? Oh, it's uh, not, not not on this occasion. We were very much focused on the <laughs> on the game, so no, not on oh, this well. occasion. But they're a lovely couple, and it's a great pleasure to spend time with them. Yes, Arsene Wenger is indeed a true gentleman, and uh, uh, he is called the professor. He's a man who is highly detail oriented in everything, and. Of course, his reputation at Arsenal was that he uh, ran everything from, you know, first team, first team training sessions all the way down to the logo on the plates in the cafeteria. And honestly, I can believe that rumor because the man is so incredibly detail-oriented. Um, tell us briefly, uh, Guy, about some of the clubs that have adopted this uh, that people may know about. Oh, so the, the list is long. And we're very proud of all of them. So it's always a tricky situation because I don't want to miss everyone. So uh, I'll try to cover some uh, uh, from from each area. So uh, let's start with our first significant market. You know, we've been active for a long, long while in the UK. We just arrived at the U.S. Open an office in, in, in Miami about a year ago. Um, so here in the U.S., we have, uh, for example, Atlanta United and Toronto FC. Um, in Latin America, amazing clubs like uh, River Plate and Club America and some other top premier or first team or top tier clubs in other uh, uh, 
Latin American countries. Um, our first market was in, in the UK where Fulham and Millwall and Hull City and Norwich and, and Manchester City, all of them are happy uh, uh, users of the, of the system. There are more, and, and I'm saying it because I don't want to offend everybody, So I'm, and I'm sure I will forget some of them. We are serving today uh, clubs from top-tier clubs to uh, uh, you know, uh, high schools and, and local academies in more than 10 countries around the world. And the numbers are huge. And uh, I know this, this high number allows us to provide a lot of insights and a lot of knowledge and to set benchmarks. So if you're a coach in, in, in San Francisco or uh, somewhere in Russia, uh, you have the same tools no matter uh, what are your limitations because we made it very, very affordable and very, very uh, simple and personalized to use. But guy, again, in the background, there's the power of the big data that we collect. Fascinating stuff. Uh, very quickly, how can people find you? Playermaker.com. Uh, so it's uh, just uh, or, uh, Twitter. It's Playermaker Tech. Just important, the Player Maker, because we help to create better champions, better players. And they're more welcome to contact us and reach out. We are, uh, we are going to be at the Baltimore U.S. Soccer Convention event. We'll have a big booth there. We welcome everybody to come on, try, test, and, and join. Uh, keep, keep being the edge, helping the coaches and players to become champions. Guy Aharon from Playermaker, thank you so much. All right, welcome back. This is Street Soccer. Nick Eber with you. By the way, just a reminder, every weekday, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern, I am here on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network and live on Sirius XM 211, Dan Patrick Sports. Also on iHeartRadio, tune in, the award-winning Sirius XM app. And if you miss any part of the show, you can catch it pretty much immediately following the show on the Believe Podcast Network, where you will find us there. Just search uh, Fifth Street Soccer. Uh, I have not welcomed to the show, however, our men and women in uniform around the world who are listening on the American Forces Network, and that is uh, bad on me, and I apologize. I do welcome you all to the show. Great to be broadcasting to you as we talk global football, uh, which we do every day. By the way, the uh, World Club Cup final is set. It is Flamengo, the... uh, Copa Libertadores champion against uh, Liverpool, who is, of course, the Champions League champion. Both both teams had tough roads uh, to get to the final with the one game they played. But let's be honest. Uh, Al Hilal, who played Flamengo, put on a, a, a good show. And Monterey, I thought, was superb. Absolutely superb team. I thought they played uh, Liverpool hard. Uh, look, without Genie Wijnaldum, without Virgil van Dijk, without Dejan Lovren without Firmino, without um, uh, Sadio Mane, uh, without Trent Alexander-Arnold. I mean, uh, there were only about half of the players were actually this, this sort of Liverpool sort of A-team were out there. I mean, look, they're all A-team members, don't get me wrong, but you know what I mean. And, and I thought Monterey took full advantage of that. It was only really when uh, Jurgen Klopp uh, put on starting with Trent Alexander-Arnold, and then he put on um, Sadio Mane, and then finally Firmino, that, uh, you know, it was just too much for Monterey. But look, credit to Monterey, Liga Emekis. It's a good league. Um, 
It is the shining hope for CONCACAF as the Mexican program, but we've known that for a long time. Uh, you know, it's a joke. It's laughable to think that MLS is going to come anywhere near Liga MX anytime in the foreseeable future. MLS continues to show that it is a league mired in mediocrity and, quite frankly, happy to be there. And not just mired in mediocrity, but mired and up to its eyeballs in hypocrisy. I'm going to tell you what I mean. Just five years ago, or four years ago, I distinctly remember Don Garber, the great spinmeister, saying in order to be a MLS franchise for the future, you've got to have a soccer-specific stadium in downtown, and you've got to have a place where fans can do the fan walk and go get drinking and build that atmosphere and we don't want these shared stadiums and it's all nonsense and you know we need our own life and our own place and our own stadiums our own identity and that having a successful team in a city already in the minor leagues so to speak because remember there's no real minor and major leagues in america because quote unquote promotion is just writing a check But in order to have this, you have to have a a big soccer following and you have to have people that are willing to come out and support a team. You know, look at Seattle, look at Portland, look at these, you know, great cities where we have this wonderful atmosphere. And this is the model. This is the blueprint. We want to do this. Well, of course, uh, MLS just announced that the 30th franchise is going to go to Charlotte, a city with... Uh, okay, I'll agree an amateur and college uh, um, soccer heritage and, and lots of good players come out of that region, for sure. But not exactly a city that's been tearing it up in the minor league sections or in the minor league franchise. Certainly not a city that has a soccer-specific stadium or a plan for one, because guess what? The owner of this team is... Uh, he uh, is an NFL owner. And, of course, remember, Don Godwin loves to toady up to the MLS owners. The guy that owns the Panthers, Dave Tepper, purchased uh, the franchise from MLS for a Ponzi scheme blowout, $325 million. Are you hearing this? A third of a billion dollars was paid to all the other owners of MLS in order to let them on in. In a league where very few teams are profitable, with television ratings that probably, quite frankly, um, Rowan and Martin's laugh-in reruns probably get better television ratings in Major League Soccer, that has no standing as a quality league on the international stage yet this bloke bought in for a third of a billion dollars but wait but wait don garber forever selling you the ginsu knife tells the world this is the 30th and likely last franchise (laughs) i laugh my ass off really that is such absolute bullcrap David Beckham 
got the rights to buy a franchise in MLS, provided he executed it within a certain date for, I think, 25 or $30 million. Then all of a sudden, the franchise freeze were ticking up and up and up. And then, you know, we have all of these restrictions. You've got to have a soccer-specific stadium. It's got to be downtown. It's got to be have, have a, a, you've got to have a fan walk. You've got to be right bars. It's got to be millennial. It's got to be young. It's got to be hip. Remember all this stuff? I mean, I just alluded to it earlier. And you've got to have a great soccer team with a great local fan support. By the way, it took Sacramento like a billion years after they met all those requirements for Don to finally get off his ass. And it took just a big $200 million check for him to do it and give him a franchise. But, oh, he didn't want Sacramento, but you want Charlotte. Oh, you want Charlotte, of course, because you're toadying up to the NFL. And anybody that owns an NFL team, someone that uh, Don is eager to get invited to his party. I'm sorry, I just find this so hypocritical. So now, franchise fees in, what, 10 years have gone from $20 million to $325 million, yet the league's television ratings, television ratings and sponsorships, by the way, folks, are the cornerstone, rights fees. That's what writes everybody's tickets in professional leagues. Major League Soccer is existing because it owns a portion of Soccer United Marketing, which owns the marketing rights to the U.S. men's, Women's national teams and the Mexican national team in the United States. That's where the money's coming from. But for Don Garber to look me in the eye or tell ESPN that this is likely the league's last franchise is such complete crap, I I just don't know what to say. Really, Don? Yeah, come on. What happens when here in Las Vegas, uh, the guys that uh, the uh, the, uh, uh, MGM or whoever it is comes and says, hey, you know what? I've got 400 million for you and I want to put I want to put an MLS team in that beautiful new Allegiant Stadium right there right there by the strip. You think Don Garber's is going to say no? He's going to keep spreading his legs or bending over for whoever's got the money. Because that's what he does. That's what's expected of him by his pimps who are the other investors, the the investors in MLS, who can't get ratings, who can't make money, but who certainly make money from these franchise fees. I'm sorry. I just find it so absolutely hypocritical and disgusting that I just, I, it's, my goodness, you give, uh, uh, no team. At least come out, be a man, say, you know what? We've changed. We've changed our approach. We We love what happened in Atlanta. So now we've changed our minds. We took a chance in Atlanta with a stadium that was a shared-use stadium downtown uh, with a NFL owner. Uh, we took a chance on it with a new team without a great deal of soccer history. We took a team. Although, of course, Atlanta did have a bit of soccer history. We don't want to forget that. And I mean that with a smile on my face. It has a fair amount of soccer history. But you know what really brought the thing to the table for Don Garber? NFL owner, $325 million check. And the fact that they, you know, the great justification is, oh, the uh, champions, uh, whatever, the Charlie Stellatano thing, uh, you know, the uh, champions, International Champions Cup, had a game here and drew 60-something thousand people. You see, people love soccer, but you know what? 60,000 people love to see Man United, and they love to see Juventus, and they love to see Real Madrid, and Liverpool, and Arsenal, and Chelsea, and whoever else. But they don't love to see uh, the uh, LAFC, and they don't love to see um, Real Salt Lake. 
and they don't like to see sport in Kansas City because they don't watch it on the TV. So, I mean, there you go. It's just nonsense. It's smoke. It's mirrors. It's uh, obfuscation of facts. And uh, if he just said, look, we're really thrilled to have $325 million. We're thrilled to have an NFL owner. We're thrilled to have a big stadium, which I know isn't what we said we wanted, but we're happy to have it anyway. Well, then, you know, at least he's being honest about it. And uh, don't try to tell me that this is the last franchise. I guarantee you three years from now, there'll be a 31st and a 32nd and a 33rd. How many teams are in the NFL? I don't know, by the way. <laughs> that's, why I'm, that's why I'm asking. 32 teams. I'm going to suggest to you that Don Garber, in his desire to create the uh, soccer version of the National Football League, was probably in his mind looking at 32 teams. And he's going to hope for $400 million franchise fee for teams 31 and 32. And you know the way, like any good salesman, he drives up the price. He tells you that was the last one. I'm fresh out of franchises. Fresh out of expansion franchises. Well, I guess we could have some movement with some of these teams that are struggling and going to maybe move markets. But, you know, I mean, come on. Who are we fooling here? I wish good luck to Charlotte. I wish good luck to the people there. I hope they enjoy their soccer team. I, I, it's great. I have no problem with the fans that will show up or the team that will be put on the pitch. It will be typical MLS mediocre nonsense that can't compete even within CONCACAF with the biggest rivals in Mexico. Because when you expand a league this fast and you don't pay the sort of money that needs to be paid to get top players in, you get average players. You dilute the talent pool and uh, you get an average and mediocre league, which is what we have. It doesn't mean you can't love your team and support them and live and die with the colors of your team. All supporters do that. All real supporters do that, whether you support an MLS team or a Premier League team or a Spanish team or whatever or a Mexican team or whatever. But come on. Come on. I mean... I, I, and it's a closed system. There's no promotion relegation. There's no sporting merit means nothing. Uh, it just means you get higher in the draft pick. Oh, come on. All right. I'm sorry. I have to vent. I just It's the hypocrisy that drives me crazy, not the fact. I'm nothing against the city of Charlotte or the owner of the Falcons. Not the Falcons, the Panthers. I, I really don't. I bear no grudge. <laughs> I'm sneezing. I must be allergic to it. All right. I'll be right back to wrap it up here on Fifth Street Soccer. Thanks for letting me vent. I feel a whole lot better now. You see, occasionally, uh, the footballing doctor, that's me, needs to get a little therapy from his patients. That's you. All right, I'll be right back after this. All right, folks. Uh hope you've enjoyed the show. Just a reminder, Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, I'm here with you on the Sports Byline Broadcast Network, live on the Sirius XM 211 Dan Patrick Sports. Um, stay tuned. Not today, because the show's wrapping up, but stay tuned right here to this channel, to this show, because coming up, we're going to have a massive Premier League preview. Uh, we're going to look at some betting odds as well, if you'd like to have a little punt or two. Uh, but really, we're going to go right down every single 
Premier League game for you, and there are some absolutely cracking ones, including the Etihad, where Leicester City will travel to Manchester City, including Chelsea, who will be visiting Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for a big fourth and fifth place clash between Chelsea and Tottenham. They could actually switch uh, switch spots in this game if Chelsea lose and Tottenham win. United travel to bottom team, Watford, Sheffield, Brighton, Wolverhampton Wanderers will go to Carroll Road and face Norwich. Uh, Palace will face Newcastle at St. James's Park. That'll be a tough game. Arsenal, Everton, what a cracker that's going to be at Goodison Park. Can't wait. That's going to be a wonderful game. Uh, we've got all sorts of other great stuff, including, um, let's have a look, uh, Villa, Southampton. We talked about that earlier in the show. That is going to be a relegation six-pointer for the ages. All sorts of great games. We're going to look at some of the odds uh, through tomorrow, through Friday, and uh, we'll be coming to you in the next uh, day or two with our complete, complete, total and utter Premier League preview show, as well as, I promised today, we just didn't have time because I got on this whole MLS expansion nonsense uh, bandwagon, or not bandwagon, soapbox, excuse me. Uh, but we'll be looking at the Champions League draw as well. All right, hope you've enjoyed the show. Just to remind you to tune in Monday through Friday. Find me on Twitter, by the way. Uh, you can do that. I'm at Nick Gieber. That's N-I-C-K-G-E-B-E-R. I would love to hear from you. Uh, we will continue the discussion you know, throughout the week, and I know the show's only one hour a day, so there are 23 other hours that we can talk of the beautiful game. All right, I'll be back with you tomorrow. Same place, same time, same channel. Speak to you then. Until then, enjoy the football. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.